Chapter 28 of The Deluge, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Deluge, Volume 2, by Henrik Schenkiewicz. Translated by Jeremiah Curtin, 1835-1906. Chapter 28 Next morning, the king marched farther and reached Lublin. There he received information that Sapieha had repulsed Boguslav's invasion and was advancing with a considerable army. He left Lublin the same day, merely strengthening the garrison of that place. The next object of his expedition was Zamosch, for if he could occupy that strong fortress, he would acquire a fixed base for further war, and such a notable preponderance that he might look for a successful end with all hope. There were various opinions touching Zamosch, those Poles still remaining with Karl contended that it was the strongest fortress in the Commonwealth, and brought as proof that it had withstood all the forces of Chmielnitsky. But since Karl saw that the Poles were in no wise skilled in fortification, and considered places strong, which in other lands would scarcely be held in the third rank, since he knew also that in Poland no fortress was properly mounted, that is, there were neither walls kept as they should be, not earthworks, nor suitable arms, he felt well touching Zamosch. He counted also on the spell of his name, on the fame of an invincible leader, and finally on treaties. With treaties, which every magnate in the Commonwealth was authorised to make, or at least permitted himself to make, Karl had so far effected more than with arms. As an adroit man, and one wishing to know with whom he had to deal, he collected carefully all information touching the owner of Zamosch. He inquired about his ways, his inclinations, his wit and fancy. Jan Sapieha, who at that time by his treason still spotted the name to the great affliction of Sapieha the hetman, gave the fullest explanations to the king concerning Zamoyski. They spent whole hours in council, but Jan Sapieha did not consider that it would be easy for the king to captivate the master of Zamosch. He cannot be tempted with money, said Jan, for he is terribly rich. He cares not for dignities and never wished them, even when they sought him themselves. As to titles, I have heard him at the court reprimand de Neuers, the Queen's secretary, because in addressing him he said, Mon Prince. 
I am not a prince, answered he, but I have had archdukes as prisoners in my Zamosht. The truth is, however, that not he had them, but his grandfather, who among our people is surnamed the Great. If he will open the gates of Zamosht, I will offer him something which no Polish king could offer. It did not become Jan Sapieha to ask what that might be. He merely looked with curiosity at Karl Gustav. But the king understood the look, and answered, gathering as was his wont, his hair behind his ears. I will offer him the province of Lubelsk as an independent principality. A crown will tempt him. No one of you could resist such a temptation, not even the present voivoda of Vilno. Endless is the bounty of your royal grace, replied Sapieha, not without a certain irony in his voice. But Karl answered with a cynicism peculiar to himself, I give it, for it is not mine. Sapieha shook his head. He is an unmarried man and has no sons. A crown is dear to him who can leave it to his posterity. What means do you advise me to take? I think that flattery would effect most. The man is not too quick-witted, and may be easily overreached. It is necessary to represent that on him alone depends the pacification of the Commonwealth. It is necessary to tell him that he alone may save it from war, from all defeats and future misfortunes, and that especially by opening the gates. If the fish will swallow that little hook, we shall be in Zamosh, otherwise not. Cannon remain as the ultimate argument. Hmm, to that argument there is something in Zamosht with which to give answer. There is no lack of heavy guns there. We have none, and when thaws come, it will be impossible to bring them. I have heard that the infantry in the fortress is good, but there is a lack of cavalry. Cavalry are needed only in the open field, and besides, since Charnetsky's army, as is shown, is not crushed, he can throw in one or two squadrons for the use of the fortress. You see nothing save difficulties. But I trust ever in the lucky star of your royal grace. Jan Sapieha was right in foreseeing that Charnetsky would furnish Zamosht with cavalry needful for scouting and seizing informants. In fact, Zamoyski had enough of his own, and needed no assistance whatever. But Charnetsky sent the two squadrons which had suffered most at Gowom, that is, the Schemberg and Lauda, to the fortress to rest, recruit themselves and change their horses, which were fearfully cut up. Sobiepan received them hospitably, 
and when he learned what famous soldiers were in them he exalted these men to the skies covered them with gifts and seated them every day at his table but who shall describe the joy and emotion of princess griselda at sight of pan yan and pan michal the most valiant colonels of her great husband both fell at her feet shedding warm tears at sight of the beloved lady and she could not restrain her weeping how many reminiscences of those old lubni days were connected with them when her husband the glory and love of the people full of the strength of life ruled with power a wild region rousing terror amid barbarism with one frown of his brow like jove such were those times not long past but where are they now today the lord is in his grave barbarians have taken the land and she the widow sits on the ashes of happiness of greatness living only with her sorrow and with prayer still in those reminiscences sweetness was so mingled with bitterness that the thoughts of those three flew gladly to times that were gone they spoke then of their past lives of those places which their eyes were never to see of the past wars finally of the present times of defeat and god's anger if our prince were alive said pan yan there would be another career for the commonwealth the cossacks would be rubbed out the transdnieper would be with the commonwealth and the swede would find his conqueror god has ordained as he willed of purpose to punish us for sins would that god might raise up a defender in pan Chanyetsky, said princess griselda he will cried pan michal as our prince was a head above other lords so Chanyetsky is not at all like other leaders i know the two hetmans of the kingdom and sapieha of lithuania they are great soldiers but there is something uncommon in Charnetsky. You would say, he is an eagle, not a man. Though kindly, still all fear him. Even Pan Zagwoba in his presence forgets his jokes frequently. And how he leads his troops and moves them passes imagination. It cannot be otherwise than that a great warrior will rise in the Commonwealth my husband who knew charnyetsky as a colonel prophesied greatness for him said the princess it was said indeed that he was to seek a wife in our court put in pan michal i do not remember that there was talk about that answered the princess in truth she could not remember for there had never been anything of the kind but Pan Michal, coming at times, invented this, wishing to turn the conversation to her ladies and learn something of Anusha. For to ask directly he considered improper, 
and in view of the majesty of the princess, too confidential. But the stratagem failed. The princess turned her mind again to her husband and the Cossack wars. Then the little knight thought, Anusha has not been here, perhaps, for God knows how many years. And he asked no more about her. He might have asked the officers, but his thoughts and occupations were elsewhere. Every day, scouts gave notice that the Swedes were nearer. Hence, preparations were made for defence. Pan Yan and Pan Mihal received places on the walls as officers knowing the Swedes and warfare against them. Zagwoba roused courage in the men and told tales of the enemy to those who had no knowledge of them yet. And among warriors in the fortress, there were many such, for so far the Swedes had not come to Zamosht. Zagwoba saw through Pan Zamoyski at once. The latter conceived an immense love for the bulky noble and turned to him on all questions, especially since he heard from Princess Griselda how Prince Yeremi had venerated Zagwoba and called him Vir Incomparabilis, the incomparable man. Every day then at table, all kept their ears open. And Zagwoba discoursed of ancient and modern times, told of the wars with the Cossacks, of the treason of Rajivil, and how he himself had brought Pan Sapieha into prominence among men. I advised him, said he, to carry hemp seed in his pocket, and use a little now and then. He has grown so accustomed to this, that he takes a grain every little while, puts it in his mouth, bites it, breaks it, eats it, spits out the husk. At night, when he wakes, he does the same. His wit is so sharp now from hempseed that his greatest intimates do not recognize him. How is that? asked Zamoyski. There is an oil in hempseed through which the man who eats it increases in wit. God bless you, said one of the colonels. But oil goes to the stomach, not to the head. Oh, there is a method in things, answered Zagwaba. It is needful in this case to drink as much wine as possible. Oil, being the lighter, is always on top. Wine, which goes to the head of itself, carries with it every noble substance. I have this secret from Lupul, the Hospodar, after whom, as is known to you, gentlemen, the Valachians wished to create me Hospodar, but the Sultan, whose wish is that the Hospodar should not have posterity, placed before me conditions to which I could not agree. You must use a power of hempseed yourself, said Sobyepan. I do not need it at all, your worthiness, but from my whole heart I advise you to take it. 
Hearing these bold words, some were frightened, lest the starosta might take them to heart. But whether he failed to notice them, or did not wish to do so, it is enough that he merely laughed and asked, But would not sunflower seeds take the place of hemp? They might, answered Zagwaba, but since sunflower oil is heavier, it would be necessary to drink stronger wine than that which we are drinking at present. The starosta understood the hint, was amused, and gave immediate order to bring the best wines. Then all rejoiced in their hearts, and the rejoicing became universal. They drank and gave vivats to the health of the king, the host, and Pan Charnyetsky. Zagwoba fell into good humour and let no one speak. He described at great length the affair at Gowom, in which he had really fought well, for, serving in the louder squadron, he could not do otherwise. But because he had learned from Swedish prisoners taken from the regiments of Dubois of the death of Prince Valdemar, Zagwaba took responsibility for that death on himself. The battle, said he, would have gone altogether differently, were it not that the day before I went to Baranov to the cannon of that place, and Charnyetsky, not knowing where I was, could not advise with me. Maybe the Swedes too had heard of that cannon, for he has splendid mead, and they went at once to Gowomb. When I returned, it was too late. The king had attacked, and it was necessary to strike at once. We went straight into the fire, but what is to be done when the general militia choose to show their contempt for the enemy by turning their backs? I don't know how Charnyetsky will manage at present without me. He will manage, have no fear on that point, said Vordyovsky. I know why. The king of Sweden chooses to pursue me to Zamosh rather than seek Charnyetsky beyond the Vistula. I do not deny that Charnyetsky is a good soldier, but when he begins to twist his beard and look with his wildcat glance, it seems to an officer of the lightest squadron that he is a dragoon. He pays no attention to a man's office, and this you yourselves saw when he gave orders to drag over the square with horses an honourable man, Pan Yirsky, only because he did not reach with his detachment the place to which he was ordered. With a noble, gracious gentleman, it is necessary to act like a father, not like a dragoon. Say to him, Lord Brother, be kind, rouse his feelings. He will call to mind the country and glory, will go farther for you than a dragoon who serves for a salary. A noble is a noble, and war is war, remarked Zamoyski. 
You have brought that out in a very masterly manner, answered Zagwoba. Pan Charnyetsky will turn the plans of Karl into folly, said Vordiovsky. I have been in more than one war, and I can speak on this point. First, we will make a fool of him at Zamosht, said Sobiepan, pouting his lips, puffing, and showing great spirit, staring and putting his hands on his hips. Bah, tfu! What do I care? When I invite a man, I open the door to him. Well. Here, Zamoyski began to puff still more mightily, to strike the table with his knees, bend forward, shake his head, look stern, flash his eyes, and speak, as was his habit, with a certain coarse carelessness. What do I care? He is lord in Sweden, but Zamoyski is lord for himself in Zamosht. Ekves Polonus sum. I am a Polish nobleman, nothing more. But I am in my own house. I am Zamoyski, and he is king of Sweden. But Maximilian was Austrian, was he not? Is he coming? Let him come. We shall see. Sweden is small for him, but Zamosht is enough for me. I will not yield it. It is a delight, gracious gentlemen, to hear not only such eloquence, but such honest sentiments, cried Zagwoba. Zamoyski is Zamoyski, continued Pan Sobiepan, delighted with the praise. We have not bowed down, and we will not. I will not give up Zamosh, and that is the end of it. To the health of the host, thundered the officers. Vivat, vivat. Pan Zagwoba, cried Zamoyski. I will not let the king of Sweden into Zamosh, and I will not let you out. I thank you for the favour, but, your worthiness, do not do that, for as much as you torment Karl with the first decision, so much will you delight him with the second. Give me your word that you will come to me after the war is over. I give it. Long yet did they feast. Then sleep began to overcome the knights. Therefore they went to rest, especially as sleepless nights were soon to begin for them, since the Swedes were already near, and the advance guards were looked for at any hour. So in truth he will not give up Zamosht, said Zagwoba, returning to his quarters with Pan Yan and Vordiovsky. Have you seen how we have fallen in love with each other? It will be pleasant here in Zamosht for me and you. The host and I have become so attached to each other that no cabinet-maker could join inlaid work better. He is a good fellow. Hmm. If he were my knife and I carried him at my belt, I would whet him on a stone pretty often. For he is a trifle dull. 
but he is a good man, and he will not betray like those bull-drivers of Biryi. Have you noticed how the magnates cling to old Zagwaba? I cannot keep them off. I'm scarcely away from Sapieha when there is another at hand. But I will tune this one as a bass viol, and play such an aria on him for the Swedes that they will dance to death at Zamosh. I will wind him up like a dancing clock with chimes. Noise coming from the town interrupted further conversation. After a time, an officer whom they knew passed quickly near them. Stop, cried Vordiovsky. What is the matter? There is a fire to be seen from the walls. Shebzheshen is burning. The Swedes are there. Let us go on the walls, said Pan Yan. Go, but I will sleep, since I need my strength for tomorrow, answered Zagwaba. End of chapter 28 Recording by David Granville Young